Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I are joined for the third time on the show by Hannah Cross. Hannah is a licensed clinical social worker, expert therapist, Reiki master, yoga teacher, ecstatic dance facilitator, and super cool. We get a little spicy on today's episode and talk about sex. I shouldn't have said it like that. I apologize. This one kind of turned into an interview, uh, kind of me interviewing Reed and Hannah about Tantra, because they're both yoga experts and that topic is super interesting to me. We discuss the challenges and potential benefits of non-monogamous relationships. We try to normalize sexual desire and expression. We touch on psychedelic-assisted therapy for couples and a whole lot more. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll get to watch my big bald head light up like Rudolph's nose um, when I blush. And uh, while you're enjoying that spectacle, you could go ahead and like the video. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening on a podcast app of some kind, please rate us. Give us a a glowing review if you're willing. If you'd like to read our show notes, follow any of the links to the resources or topics we mentioned, that can be found on our website, psychedelictherapyfrontiers.com. Um, you can follow us on social media, particularly Instagram. I'm at Dr. Steve Thayer. Reed is at Innerspace Doctor. So without further ado, I bring you Hannah Cross. Welcome back, folks. Back by popular demand is our beloved Hannah Cross. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Hannah's episodes are some of our highest viewed episodes, so we're uh, we're hoping to knock it out of the park today. Um, Not only because of her presence, but also because of our topic. Um, And we were talking a lot about, before we hit record, what our topic actually is, because it could go so many different directions. And Hannah had mentioned that maybe we need to make a series on this, and I think that's a good idea, uh, a series on relationships and all things relationships. But I thought maybe we could explore a couple of those variables today in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, sex, sexual health. Um, maybe, what, did, what is the term you used before when we were talking about this? The, con- the something containers. Um, relationship relation- containers. Creative yeah, relationship and different yeah. relationship containers. containers that work well for different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and psychedelics. Because there's some really cool, interesting developments in the world of psychedelic medicine around couples therapy, around sexual wellness. Um, so yeah, sex, drugs, there. and tantra. I was gonna say, well, we could do rock and roll, but I don't <laughs> know if it really applies. Sex, drugs, and yoga, essentially. Mm-hmm. I got to admit, when I hear the word tantra, because unlike yep. the two of you, I'm not super well versed in the yogi yo- yoga world. I just know my the old biases that I bring to the table, like the biases that I developed as a young person, um, seeing like tantric practices it was always we yeah. were, it was always talked about like tantric sex is it tantra or tantra 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 okay although we'll accept either tantra. <laughs> and you could see where those come from if you were a young steve wandering through the barnes and noble and asking for the tantra or tantra section yeah. you might find some tantric sex books or tantric tantric well, those massage. are the ones i was looking for yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest <laughs> um but it does mean so much more and i like i know we were pre-gaming talking mm-hmm. about this a little bit and i really liked hannah's definition so i'll pass it over to her pass the baton. to uh explain what, what it is yeah what's tantra <laughs> well if you really break down the word it means expansion through liberation the word tantra also implies weaving 
And so we would be talking about weaving of polarities, weaving of the masculine and the feminine, weaving of the inner and the outer. Yeah, it's a recognition of the energies inside of us that you might call masculine and feminine energies and a recognition that it's all in all of us. This is way beyond gender, um, if gender is even real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's way beyond that. But it's like harnessing that creative life force, the passion, the force of creation, the force of manifestation, and learning to weave it into day-to-day life, work with it, use it in inside and in relationship, not just in intimate partnership, but in like your relationship with the world. Mm-hmm. So now I'm detecting overlap between that, that description of Tantra and like Freudian libidinal energy. Because libidinal energy, and I'm not a Freud expert, but from what I remember from grad school, is it's this, it is, it's a sexual force, but it's a, it's a creative force. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. your drive. Mm-hmm. It is the creative force. Right. Yeah. So some of these practices, like in some parts of the world, there are a lot of Tibetan schools and Hindu schools of Tantra and a lot of yogic uh, variations on this. Some of them will like, there, there are a lot of variations, but some will practice like reserving the sexual energy or sharing that carefully because it can be channeled into so much more like your life purpose um, mm-hmm. or transformed in, in other powerful ways. Yeah, uh, in the sort of popular media space, that's the sub, that's the nofap subreddit, right? And nofap, fap is like this uh, slang term for masturbation. So these, there's this whole community, many, most of them men, who uh, make these claims about that reserving of your sexual energy. So don't masturbate, uh, don't orgasm, and it'll give you superpowers. Yeah. Not, not. And I've got to admit, as a scientist and a, an aspiring mystic, let's mm-hmm. say, but coming from a, a scientific background, when I hear those things, I check them out. Like I'll go to the studies and like major league baseball player pitches X number of perfect games and, and cites not masturbating or having sex as a reason, just mm-hmm. as an example. And there have been studies attempted, but it's, it's not clear like from a scientific lens, but but putting on my experiential, like, contemplative practitioner hat, um, I do think it's a power. This is the force of creation. This is the force that led us all to be here on this planet. And uh, there is certainly something there. And just to give an example, like, if you're, say, in, a, in an intimate relationship, a committed partnership, and say you're a dude and you're not with your your female committed partner you're out walking in the world and you see another beautiful woman like you could deny that was even something or squash it into areas of shame and repression or you can acknowledge the beauty and uh, then you have a choice if someone goes and chases that in an unenlightened way they're going to spill their energy and wreck their life right mm-hmm. or you can say oh there's beauty all around me i love you i love you and then you can mm-hmm. harness that and channel it back into whether it's your own relationship or your life purpose or that meeting you've got in the boardroom where you're essentially practicing that creative life force in a enlightened conscious way with anything yeah 
I love that you just brought that up, Reed. I've thought about that a lot. Just the how important deep connections are to life and to other people um, and how really for looking at like healthy relationships, um, how healthy relationships allow for those deep connections to happen outside of the relationship. Acknowledging yeah. creative power. So in Reed's example, if you have, uh, we have this committed dyad, these two people who are committed to each other. And if that relationship dyad is healthy, then, and this person has an enlightened understanding of their sexual energy or their, their tantric energy or libidinal energy, and they see an attractive other, they can appreciate that person's beauty and they can, they can use this sexual energy, not only for sexual expression or gratification or connection, but also for other types of things like creative expression or, um, I don't know, uh, activism or something it's, like that. It's kind of like we talk about in, in mindfulness and in other ways, or even when we were talking about the monkey mind in a previous episode, makes a, uh, a terrible master a beautiful servant. That energy like, could be the same. You could look at it almost the same way. Like, you, you have to uh, bring some awareness, some loving awareness into the equation and not just respond to primal urges um, because, you know, you might do harm. But if you have that loving, the key being loving awareness container of, of, yeah, I am not going to stop the flow of love due to fear, but I'm also never going to do anything that's going to harm that person, their community, my mm. community, my tribe, and, and all beings, you know. Yep. This is okay. This is making, this, this is feeling like a, a podcast where I'm interviewing you. So <laughs> I like this. I like this. So, so now this is making sense to me because... Uh, Hannah and I were talking earlier before we hit record about um, kind of modern polyamory, how we're seeing this sort of sexual revolution uh, in certain pockets of the West where yeah. people are ditching what you might call a traditional monogamy in favor of, you know, just kind of pairing up with whoever they want. And you were describing, Reed, this kind of prototypical person who claims to be sexually liberated and they're, but what I'm thinking is they're just sort of giving in to all the sexual triggers and urges. And I'm not necessarily judging that, but I don't know if from this healthier, more skillful tantric perspective, if that's the wiser thing to do. Here's the, yeah. oh, go, go ahead. It's hurting sure? somebody. Yeah. And then I have another way mm -hmm. of looking at it, but I want to hear Hannah's perspective. My way of looking at what you're talking about, Steve, is that and we were talking about this earlier, but it's like the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in some of maybe like the modern polyamory circles from maybe what was the once necessary for survival, like monogamous relationship, like marriage was happening for survival. And like that's not necessarily what needs to be anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like that maybe the pendulum has swung swung kind of far in some circles, some polyamorous circles, but um, which I get because I get um, wanting to like re wanting to seek freedom, mm -hmm. wanting to maybe rebel against old hierarchical hier patriarchal systems yeah. that no yeah. longer work anymore. Um, but I feel like there's a middle path that acknowledges that though we all need freedom, we're also bonding mammals like we also 
actually, and there, there is research to support this, but we actually have more fulfilling sexual relationships when sex is happening in a, like a securely bonded relationship. Mm. setting. Securely bonded, which would you say doesn't necessarily have to mean exclusive? Like, depends on the person. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so it can depend mm. on the person, yeah. right? So you can have a couple that is securely bonded yeah. and they have a fulfilling sexual relationship and maybe even children in that bond, um, but, but still have intimate and or sexual relationships with other people. You might mm-hmm. call it an open relationship or a monogamish relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And it could work and it could work in a healthy way in accordance with, you know, being monogamous mammals or whatever, like you were describing. Again, I'm thinking out loud because I'm interviewing you guys. That's, yeah. that's what I've, just, I've just claimed that's what I'm doing today. Let's get Esther Perel on here. I she'll, know. There's lots of great, great experts yeah. out there on this. But So um, speaking of great experts, one perspective that was really helpful for me in how to look at this is David Data. Hmm. Have you read any of I've his heard, books? I've heard of him. I haven't yeah. read a book. So. Um, his, one of his favorite books for me has a terrible title, but uh, in my opinion, it's called The Way of the Superior Man, hmm. but it's really uh, a book about embracing like a non-toxic masculine energy. He has another book for women called Dear Lover, but but his teachings are more like set aside gender doesn't matter. Like inside each of us is a like a predominant masculine energy or a predominant female. We both have both, and he even has a way of of uh, identifying that. That's pretty easy. But we we can talk about that later if you want. But he has this framework that he talks about when it comes to polyamory of his first, second, and third stage love. Like the first stage love is like kind of an unenlightened love, but I, you give me this, I'll give you that. Like it's a barter tit for tat. Like, nope, you're not doing what I want. I'm withholding love from you or making you suffer too. And then there's a second stage that's like kind of, you know, it might even look like unconditional love, but it's more like um, you're settling into that place of, of uh, a secure bond. Um, but he says the third stage love where it's true enlightened love, where unbridled, but where you'd never do anything to harm the other. Um, he says that's the only place that true polyamory can exist in a free-flowing positive way because it has that qualifier of like, yeah, I would never do anything to harm my partner or our children or their children. Um, and he's he just points out and it makes me realize that um, there are a couple paths of polyamory like you could go down that path early in your first or second stage love development and hit lots of triggers and learn to get over your jealousy and learn a ton and have a lot of life experiences but to do it in a sustainable enlightened way he'll point out that very few people have gotten there and it's and it's not that common to have two people in that kind of semi-enlightened state to coexist in that way. But it's, uh, I think it's a great way to think about it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like I like that you mentioned to exist in that kind of love that could make it work. It's probably kind of rare, but I think it would have to stem from having that type of relationship with yourself in order to yeah. then have that kind of love for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of work. Yeah. I look around at a lot of my friends who... Um, 
like are on, maybe you could call it a spiritual path, like a path that really prioritizes personal growth and, um, they grow really rapidly. Right. And like, they're almost all single. Like I've just observed that a lot of my friends are single. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they're starved for deep connection. Like they have deep connections in their friendships and probably with themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been hard for some of them to find a partner that is on that same kind of growth trajectory and can hold space yeah. for their growth. Like really from that unconditionally loving place. Same kind of growth trajectory, but not their trajectory. Yeah, right? not their it's trajectory. It's hard to find parallel paths when you are on your own custom bespoke spiritual path. Because I find that in some people who either have been, they have never been in a committed relationship or they've been in one and then they're out of one. And they want to find somebody who's, who just complements their path mm-hmm. or who's, who's willing to get on their path and support them on their path. Yeah. And not really thinking hard about this other person's past. So my, my guess is it's probably really hard to find two people the way you, you folks are describing them whose paths um, sing together, like yeah. harmonize. Although uh, I think a component of that that I just want to point out is that even, even it's impossible to find someone on the exact same right. path, right? Yeah. And and there there is this this uh, phase of kind of inner work and the rapid trajectory where it's extra hard to sync up. But there is a something about relationship that pushes buttons that won't otherwise get pushed mm-hmm. in a really important way for our development. And I think uh, not to say people have to ever be in relationship, but by being in it, um, even and especially through the struggles, there's extra learning and, and lessons and a rich journey there. Um, even if the relationship fails, like, which is a terrible thing to say about a relationship because you were part of each other's journey. Um, anyway, just, just wanted to, to point that out. Yeah. That's, That's making me think of, um, Aubrey Marcus's path, like his, his relationship journey. Cause he's been pretty public about, um, having had a open relationship or a polyamorous relationship with his partner. I think her name was Whitney mm-hmm. for like seven years and on his podcast and in his writings, he was kind of giving us a play by play behind the scenes of what it was like. And it was really, really hard. And now he's married. He's in a monogamous relationship. Um, and he'll reflect on it sometimes in, in his podcast. Um, and he'll talk about how he felt like he was doing it the quote unquote right way. The, the open relationship thing felt like he was being, enlightened and about it and and charitable and all that but he also would get super jealous and feel very very threatened and very very insecure yeah um and i guess there there could be space for all of that to happen in a healthy polyamorous setup but i'm just trying to think what it would look like hannah this relationship to self that you were talking about like what what would a really healthy relationship to self look like in a open or polyamorous or monogamish relationship because it wouldn't be devoid of those triggers. It wouldn't be Mm -hmm. devoid of jealousy or hurt or fear. Or maybe just even (laughs) period, whether it was in a polyamorous relationship or a monogamish or monogamous one. Mm -hmm. As you were saying that, I'm like, what, what defines a healthy relationship with self? Honesty, like just authenticity. Acceptance. Being able to say like, oh, this is what I want or this is what I don't want and being able to like really live, live from that place of honesty with self. So knowing what it is, 
being honest with self about what it is and then accepting and giving authority to that, what that is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Secure attachment as a foundation in yourself because, you know, you could either be anxiously attached and then those buttons are pushed all the time where it's hard to do much else when you're always jealous, always freaking out. And that's why some people would just say, oh, I would never imagine trying polyamory. It would drive me crazy because it would drive them crazy. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, if people are too avoidant or detached, like you can see how they might be numbed to the attunement and the, mm -hmm. the ripple effects of that. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about doing your own work and working on your capacity to love and, and that honest truth about what your intentions are and going into that um, as, a, as a key starting point. Honest with yourself and then honest with you know, a partner if there's yeah. one involved. Yeah. There's a book uh, that I found really interesting several years ago called The Uncomfortable Truth About Relationships by Neil Strauss, where it talks about his journey through all forms of polyamory. And mm. he's, a, he's a good writer. So it was a really fascinating read. And it's a cool looking book. It looks like a, a white Bible. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are, there are lots of lots of good books out there that I've heard of that I just haven't read. Uh, I've heard they're good around topics like this. Like there's a, is there one called um, Ethical Non-Monogamy? And then maybe there, I think there's one called like The Ethical Slut. That one's more about mm -hmm. um, kink, I think. But even the uh, like... Come As Est You Are is another one. Esther Perel, like State of Affairs, Mating in Captivity. Mm-hmm. Sex at Dawn is another uh, really good book about the uh, these challenging uh, parts of the Western approach to relationship because it's not like this in all cultures and all ages. Like this this romanticized um, way of finding your soulmate. There's mm -hmm. some right. some uh, you know some potholes to step in with that idea that gets a lot of people into trouble yeah. enmeshment is that what you mean by potholes with that romanticized idea yeah and among other things but I would love to hear what you see as enmeshment uh, in relationship because I mean the fact of the matter is most relationships uh, end right I mean they they all everything ends eventually but but most marriages end up in divorce these days mm. But, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, that, you know, that's certainly one part of it. But if you look at like where this idea came from in the last few hundred years and Alain de Botton, uh, talks about it, this British philosopher, um, talks about how challenging romanticism ends up being for our relationships in that uh, you think that, uh, you know, you fall in love and you think it's going to be all like love, bliss and rainbows and a walk in the park. And, and you do spend all this honeymoon period um, in uh, often a blissful state, sunsets and, and everything else. But the fact of the matter is we all have this different, like you were saying, this different journey and path up the mountain uh, and different trajectory 
And you've got to almost know that going in, that mm. people are going to change. And it's not easy, but there is a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of blissful reward on the other side of that, which, you know, I, I hear you talk about your marriage, your relationship, Steve, and I I think about that. Like, you put in the work, mm-hmm. uh, and you're reaping the rewards of this deep deep and deeper connection um, with another human um, that I think is a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, when Hannah was talking about her friends that are on these sort of steep spiritual growth trajectories, Uh, and that they're single, I was thinking about my growth trajectory over the last 17 years that I've been married. Um, And I've grown a ton in the container of this monogamous marriage with my wife. And she's grown a ton too. We were both very different people now Mm -hmm. than when we started our relationship in a lot of really important ways. And we haven't always been in really synchronous, um, on really synchronous paths, but we've been knitted together through some foundational I'm getting all nerdy about this. I just love her. Like (laughs) I'm in love with her. She loves me according to what Mm -hmm. she tells me. And I definitely feel it from her. And that has always kept us together. Even when, you know, I left the LDS church and she didn't for a time. And that, you know, that breaks up a lot of marriages who Mm -hmm. start in, uh, in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and in other religions for that matter, where family and marriage is wrapped up in the doctrine and the ideology. So yeah, I think you can grow together and still have a lot of freedom and flexibility in the container that is a monogamous committed relationship too. Yeah, this is this is funny, Steve, because earlier we were doing a training on our five pillars of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and you quoted a song from Encanto. Encanto, yeah. There's another one on that oh. soundtrack called Dos Oreguitas, and yeah. which means two caterpillars. And the translation of that song just made me cry when Mm. I first read it. But um, it's about these two caterpillars and they're holding on really tightly to each Mm. other. And they weather all of these storms by doing that. But there comes this time where they have to let go of each other to build a cocoon and then fly as butterflies. Mm. And that that song really, really hits. And I think, you know, what you're talking about and growing together in a relationship, you we have to learn to do that to become who we're supposed to be. And sometimes those butterflies will probably, you know, reunite. The relationship continues. And sometimes, you know, in your word, like some relationships fail. Yeah. And they have to fly their separate ways. Yeah, and that's why I like, yeah, that is a beautiful song. And and why I like this idea that kind of comes out of the celebrity marital therapy realm, but just the title of like conscious uncoupling. Um, Yeah. I think is a great way to look at it of like, you know, if people realize that, oh, we kind of got married in a hurry and we actually have very different values or we have um, tried our best and changed in fundamentally different ways. So we're going to agree to set each other free so we can grow into our fullest, like truest selves and love each other in another way for this next chapter Mm -hmm. um, from afar, whatever that is. But um, the, the song you quoted, I'm going to have a listen to that. Makes me think of another song that we should put in the show notes. That's a tearjerker called, uh, grow as we go by Ben Platt. Mm. Um, he was the guy in, uh, dear Evan Hansen, but he sings it and even teary eyed himself in this, mm. in this, uh, 
song about how, you know, you can change, it's okay. You know, I'll change in my way, you change in yours, and we'll love each other anyway. Mm. In the Celtic traditions, they look at like the soul of a relationship as being like its own soul, kind of like we might look as at an individual human being's mm. soul. And they talk about like the dark night of the soul of even relationships and how that dark night of the soul, yeah. just like we talked about on our episode about spiritual emergencies, but the dark night oh. of, of a soul as an individual is that like real turning point into our expansion and it's dark and it usually is really painful but, and relationships can have that too, according cool. to the Celtic traditions. And so on the other side of that dark night is going to be an emergence of something that is better, more, more evolved, mm -hmm. more expansive. And maybe that means, yeah, we're loving each other from a distance, but maybe that also means now we get to start all over having transformed and move forward together. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful idea, and it reminds me we were talking earlier about a couple I had the the honor and privilege of working with recently in their journey, uh, and um, it strikes me that many relationships do need some impetus or stimulus for change. That's really a challenging thing, or else you might just coast along in this disconnected mm -hmm. half numbed out, frustrated state until you're faced with, okay, are we doing this? Are we doing the work uh, to get to the other side of that or not? And the work's never done, but, right. but it's kind of like you're describing of, uh, you know, changing in different ways and trajectories with your wife, but staying connected through love um, and loving each other through it. Yeah, love as the connecting force and also commitment. Like we started our marriage contract with a commitment that we would uh, be together forever and sort of, you know, through sickness and health and all that stuff. And so that's just the assumption that is the container for the relationship. And if that were ever to change, we'd need to have a conversation about it and for why it would change and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. so if the, if the, underlying assumption is we're going to stay together, then that's the lens through which I'm looking at all the problems in the relationship. And that could be probably bad if, let's say, there was abuse, if she was beating the shit out of me or something like that, right? <laughs> um, and then you're like, well, no, I have to stay in because I committed because I committed when maybe we yeah. would want that relationship to to end. But um, yeah, it's certainly working for us. And what uh, brings people together doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the same as what makes people good life partners yeah. right uh, yeah. and uh, you know maybe we could circle back around to that idea of the tantric energy too it just makes me think of the polarities that exists in a in a partnership and how um again ignoring gender but uh we use these terms like masculine energy and feminine energy or yang for the masculine and yin for the feminine and you've got uh, shakti shiva that's the masculine shakti feminine um, and uh, that difference is what creates uh, an attraction an arc of polarity it's kind of like two poles of electricity and if you're exactly the same which can happen. It might be more of a mundane or um, less spicy existence, 
but uh, it's the differences or that yin-yang balance of energy that really creates this this weave together of like tantric coexistence. It might be helpful to talk about some of those like yin qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what are the yang qualities? Mm-hmm. Take you, it away. Do <laughs> you want to start or you want me to rattle some off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can totally start. Um, how about you? You take the masculine qualities and I'll hit on some of the kind of core feminine yeah. qualities. So um, I like a simple analogy, a couple of them to to help like if the masculine is the container or the riverbank and the feminine is the river it uh it doesn't mean the masculine is in control at all in fact the river mm-hmm. um in a very significant way actually shapes the riverbank and the course of it or the uh say you have a milk jug or a container to receive uh, a liquid um the containers, the masculine energy, the, the flowing, moving energy or liquid that goes in is the feminine. The feminine's the dance, masculine's the, the stability yeah. or the emptiness. I'd like to add one that I like to that. So where the masculine might be the atmosphere, the feminine or all of the storm systems that happen mm-hmm. within that atmosphere. And the atmosphere just holds all of that, right, with equanimity. Whatever is, is going on storm-wise today, that's okay with me. I'm just holding it here. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before we hit record to Steve about our experience working as a dyad in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and how it's been nice for, you know, just with that one particular example, though the roles could be reversed, for me to be able to be in the therapy and in the emotion piece with the the participant while your presence there kind of helped hold the safe container. Mm -hmm. Like you could stand there, help me feel safe, help the participant feel safe when we were both working in the kind of storm of of the emotions. Though, of course, that doesn't have to, you know, we could have switched roles and we probably did. <laughs> yeah, there were times when I think we did. We mm-hmm. switched in and out of those roles. We were dynamic mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. roles. But I, I like the idea of sort of the ancient and maybe fundamental nature of masculine and feminine energy. And they have they don't have they don't have to have anything to do with penises and right. vaginas, right? Yeah, totally. It doesn't have to be that. It's just this is kind of the way the universe is constructed with these polarities. And yeah. as individuals as we're constructed, you know, I have masculine qualities and feminine right. qualities. How? Yeah, I would say my, so a lot of my feminine qualities are what make me a good therapist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. And some of my masculine qualities also help me be a good therapist. It's go. that kind of holding space. And they work together for creation. You know, we were talking mm-hmm. about Tantra's emphasis on the creative life force energy. And it is the feminine and the masculine that create together. Mm. Like the feminine yeah. cannot create without the masculine and vice versa. Which is why when you see people who maybe are um, repressing one form of energy over the other, that they're having, a, they're having trouble knowing what they want, knowing who they are. And they're having trouble solving problems creatively. Yeah, that we I mentioned earlier David Data's quick way of telling, and and in in his kind of witty anything goes style, he just says like, look at your intimate um, sexual relationship preference. Do you want to be the one who gets ravished, or do you want to do the ravishing? Mm-hmm. Um, like the 
do you want to be in charge in the bedroom, which would be more of that masculine energy, doesn't matter what gender, um, or do you want to be the receiver, mm-hmm. um, or do you want to drive the car or and make the decisions of where you're going, or do you want to be in the passenger seat and not have to de- do that so you can dance and flow? Um, and what's interesting about your weather uh, uh, pattern analogy, well, two things is, like from a medical standpoint, I'm just fascinated by the fact that um, the female hormones are so different day to day. And as a male, we have no idea what's that, what that's like because it is like flat line of variability um, where the feminine like energy or, or mood and like feelings do change. Um, but there's this other component to it as... Like the feminine energy wants to know that the container's there and safe, like you were talking about in the therapy dyad, and it will do it will like weather, it will have a storm rise and test that um, for until the end of time. It might get less and less when you feel more and more stable, but the feminine needs to know that she they that energy can flow and dance and be free and held, and they're safe they'll be caught when they you know, fly around and, and need to come down. And when when they know that it's safe, then the potential to be creative is so great. Mm-hmm. Because on the monthly cycle, as the hormones are changing, I mean, it's it's so creative if you learn how to utilize that. There's like very much, at least in my experience, yeah. an outward focus time and then a more inward focus time. And then I can use whatever happens in that inward focus time to then create things that are more outward focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that container of safety is really important in um, sexual relationships too. That uh, we, we learn a lot from this dance between masculine and feminine, yeah. regardless of, of uh, biological sex, from the kink community, from the kind of uh, the roles of of dom and submissive. Um, yeah. And they talk about that a lot can happen in a, between you know consenting adults sexually that would maybe horrify your average American, but. Uh, that can actually be beautiful expressions of the, of that sexual energy. If it happens in safe containers Yeah. that, uh, that are approached with active communication, uh, safe words and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I've just heard experts on these topics talk about the creative expression, sexual expression and how healing it can be for a person who might be traumatized or who might feel like they don't have, uh, autonomy over their bodies. To yeah. be able to, you know, be be a receiver from a from a dom who's really really safe that they can feel safe with, or to be a giver, you know, to be uh, dominating mm-hmm. in a sexual context and feel empowered. It's it's actually shadow work. A great example of it, uh, and there's another book that I'd recommend called Existential Kink that mm-hmm. talks about. It's a funny title again, but a really eye-opening book showing how the patterns laid down early in your life often show up in sexual preference in the bedroom and how I used to think that I used to have a simplified view of this is that some people's preferences are just weird Mm -hmm. Um, but there's actually a lot of like you said healing and like shadow work and personal growth and relationship growth that can happen by um, being open to those patterns and preferences and different dynamics in a safe container. 
And are you saying that it's shadow work because a lot of times sexuality has been like exiled to the shadows? Yeah, and it can be, it can come from a number of different examples, but that's a, like, I think the underlying principle is that there's something that, like an unexpressed, unseen, unhealed part Mm -hmm. that uh, kind of can come out in that way or come to the light in that way, um, whether it's in that like dom sub example or like pain or any kind of, uh, you know, some, some people like to be talked to in a certain way or feel like they can completely surrender. Um, I used to be so puzzled by the fact that in the bedroom, some people like to choke each other mm-hmm. <laughs> until you hear about like where that might come from in these primal evolutionary wired forces that also um, kind of wires that get crossed throughout our upbringing and modern life where we can't talk about or express these and they end up buried. Mm-hmm. That's the mistake that a lot of people make when they look at um, the kink community is that they, they think, oh, this is these are just sexually traumatized people living out their trauma. There's no way that this can be healthy. And certainly that, that can be the case. You know, people who who yeah. are uh, sadistic and masochistic in sexual ways could be um, channeling their trauma through sex. Um, but I, I think if we if we can open our hearts and learn from the kink community uh, and, you know, sex therapists, people who are professionals in these areas, um, I think we learn more about mm-hmm. what Reed's talking about. Nothing like talking about kink to make for an awkward silence. <laughs> that was, it does make me think there's, we were talking about this uh, Netflix show before we hit yeah. record. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's show, the, uh, was it Sex, Love, and Goop? It's Is that the title got of the sex show? in the title. Yeah, but, something uh, like that. And she gets a ton of shit, and I'm not sure I love everything about her stuff, so chill out, people, if you're getting triggered by me mentioning that show. Yeah. But it was it was a really interesting show, though, about, like, energetic components of sex therapy and tantra mm-hmm. that that can be kind of brought into the relationship work and it, it really powerful and touching eye-opening stuff as well i thought so you know because there were some examples of you know expert sex therapists walking people through their trauma that was causing them to brace causing them to feel bad about themselves really mm-hmm. interfering with their ability to open up and really enjoy the sexual relationship and enjoy the other the person in that relationship and the tools they had to use were tools that again the layperson would be like oh what this seems a little odd yeah i've never seen that show but i think i would like it i mean just the energetic piece i think if a relationship was an iceberg like what we see with our five senses is probably the tip of the iceberg and so much of a relationship is happening on this energetic level that that really interests me and the the healing from trauma piece is one that really interests me too like it's been incredibly rewarding to see people be able to pull their sexuality out of the shadows and really like integrated into their being um, through healing trauma around sexual abuse it's uh it's always fascinating to me you know well we're wounded in relationship often, but the healing 
the complete healing often needs to happen in relationship too. And just like I see the yoga mat as a laboratory for doing, looking inside myself and doing inner work, the intimate components of a relationship are that same laboratory for the work of interbeing in the world. And it just reminds me of like the tantric practice of learning to identify and embrace those energies within you that you can practice with your partner by making love, let's say in a safe container and attaining, you're essentially communing with the divine or in this like triangular relationship with a transpersonal place, an altered state you could get to. And you're learning to touch into it and harness these creative powers that you can then take with you respectively mm-hmm. out in the world, knowing you're safe, supported, loved, and, uh, and worthy and powerful. And then you can go make love to the world mm-hmm. in, in a sense, like through your purpose, through your, your healing, like sharing your gifts and things like that. Mm. I, I love that read. What a good point. I love that piece about being able to take it then out into the world, that sensuality and the creative force that is connected to sexuality because mm-hmm. i mean it might be the most powerful force really like it is something you know it's something incredibly powerful that can be used mm-hmm. how babies are born and how dreams are manifest and mm-hmm. how uh you know how life force flows and i think maybe listeners would like to just be reminded that they can they can bring their sensuality with them into their their lives and find mm-hmm. ways to do that, and it's a good idea. And yeah, yeah, even if it's just like you put on a cute pair of underwear. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> savoring yeah, what you taste and smell, mm-hmm. and um, you you know being fully present for the sensory experience of your life. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, sensuality is more than just cute underwear, right? It's yeah. it is. It's mindful presence with um, the sens the sensualness, the sensations of every momentary experience. Like um, <laughs> sometimes my wife can be really, really sexy in cute underwear. She can also be really sexy in pajamas that cover practically every inch of her skin, um, mm-hmm. because I can just be present with her and appreciate everything I love about her. And she might be cute and embarrassed that she doesn't look quote unquote sexy. And, and that might be the sexiest thing in the world to me because I'm bringing presence and love mm-hmm. to the moment. And you're in your body. Yeah. Feeling the moment. Embodiment. Yeah. And it's a key ingredient to all this. I heard a person, um, she's a, I think she's a sex therapist talking about her journey. And she, she shared the experience where she was, having sex with her boyfriend at the time and it occurred to her she couldn't feel the touch of his uh, she couldn't feel um like when he kissed her on the neck she couldn't feel his lips on her skin Mm. you know she could feel the sexual act but she couldn't feel anything on her skin she's like oh my gosh i am not in my body Mm -hmm. yeah and this was the start that insight was the start of a of a journey for her where she she really embraced sensuality and becoming more embodied Mm -hmm. and it totally changed the sexual landscape for her in uh the eating disorder work that I've been immersed in for the past several years. There's a, um, an embodiment researcher who I've really learned a lot from called, named Neva Piran, and she wrote um, Journeys of Embodiment. It's like a textbook and has the experience of embodiment scale that uh, you know we've used a lot in clinic. 
but she uses the analogy of a corset, and she's talking mostly about women born into this society, repressed, and these hooks of the corset, like, oh, you can't display this this uh, sensuality, sexuality. You stop dancing, singing, embracing all that. Uh, you stop expressing yourself. You stop speaking your truth or displaying any, like, big emotions. Um, and how, like, damaging that is to like the individual to society, to this like beautiful power we're talking about and how the journey back to one's body to wholeness involves like, like undoing those hooks of the corset and re-experiencing the joy of movement or the sensuality within you and letting it out and embracing, like finding your voice again um, and finding your pleasures and honoring those. So... Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's such an important thing in the work we do. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up today's episode, is there any um, anything you would point our listeners to to maybe explore this topic in greater depth? And maybe we can invite everybody listening that if you want to hear more about any one particular thing we talked about, because like we tend to do mm-hmm. in these episodes, we we skim the surface of a lot of different <laughs> aspects of a broader topic. Um, which I just love doing. But if, yeah, if there's something that uh, you want to dive deeper into, just let us know. Email us comments on uh, wherever you can make comments. And we'll, we'll do a deeper dive. But yeah, any concluding thoughts? Of where to go next? Yeah, because this is, I mean, it's kind of a, a forced conclusion because our cameras are running out of batteries. But like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah fi- finding the, the spaces where you can be in your body is so important. Mm-hmm. If that is yoga or just taking time at the end of the day to sink and see, see what's in there. Yeah. I would say bring um, validating love to all aspects of relationship. So that could be rela- relationship mm-hmm. to a partner and relationship to self. If you have an urge, if you have an interest, if you have a conversation that you want to have, bring validating love to that and see where you can take it. Um, cause it's the shame that pushes things into the shadow that then cause problems. Yep. Sounds good. Looking forward to part two of our relationship series. Two through seven of sex, love, relationships, drugs, rock and roll, panda bears, Amen. whatever you want to include. Yeah. Thank you both. Thanks folks. Thank you, dear listener for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, scathing criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training.
The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.